With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts... Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I got an opportunity to speak with Tim Jenkins, former NFL quarterback, CEO and QB coach at Jenkins Elite, NFL analyst, um, burgeoning YouTube page. Guys, if you do not follow that, go follow it now. Um, Yeah, I'm stoked to talk to you. I'm pumped up. We always have, I always think it's funny when me and you talk on Twitter, because I feel like people think we're mad at each other. Yep. And we're never actually mad at each other. <laughs> well, and one of those one of those things is too that like I think on Twitter people and you and I have talked about this before, but like I feel like on Twitter people get into this like two camps type thing where it's yeah. like you might disagree on something, but like on Twitter that makes it sound like oh I must hate this guy because I disagree with him yeah. on something, and it's like no that's that's not how the world works, and I understand that that's how Twitter works. There's no nuance. There's no anything, but yeah. No, I, I love chatting with you. It's fun. I always learn something. Like every time I go back through and I actually like listen to these episodes, I'm always like taking notes and stuff. So, <laughs> so FYI to listeners, I do not hate Tim Jenkins. Uh, so I'm always amused by the responses because people think it's like negative and they don't realize how much me and you DM each other very positive things. So yeah. I just, I always get a kick out of it. I have a couple people on Twitter that it's like that with where people like think I'm feuding with them and I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> I have come to this idea that I think most people think I'm feuding with everyone on Twitter. I like, I feel like again, I, whenever I've chatted with people that like know me mostly through Twitter, 
And then like I chat with them outside of that. They're like, oh, well, yeah. first of all, it's always, you're not actually a horse. So FYI, if you didn't know that, I'm not a horse, guys. But second of all, like they're always like, yeah, you're, you're actually not as big an asshole when I chat with you. I'm like, yeah, I try, I try not to be. But like, and again, I think I've told you this before, but like when I was like learning journalism type stuff, one of the things that was like hammered at me when I was in school was like, don't leave room for like maybes, ifs, yeah. like, so you, you try to sound like I know what I'm talking about. And granted, I yeah. do feel pretty confident usually when I'm talking about stuff, but on Twitter, I, I make a point, especially with the character limit. I don't, yeah. I don't leave that stuff in. So it ends up making me sound like a, a much bigger asshole than I am, I guess. <laughs> Or maybe I am just that big of a jerk. I, I don't try to be. No, so. I don't think so. And I think everything gets misinterpreted on there too. Like I have buddies that like I've been friends with for my whole life and they'll sit on Twitter and they'll be like, dude, if I didn't know you, I think you're like a, a jerk. But after like actually knowing you, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, good. I got to figure out how to fix that. So <laughs> I'll like... Yeah. Well, part of my resolution for 2021, and this is kind of, I think, probably the proper segue into this, but one of my resolutions for 2021 is to try not to be a hater. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be tough because I have this thing where a lot of times when something does bother me, it just like eggs at you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just hard to like kind of let certain things go. And like, this is the one that's coming to my mind right now is the Trinity Benson trade for me was tough just because I really, I saw him the last three years seeing where he went from to where he was this preseason was really exciting and yeah. I get it. And I totally understand why George Payton traded him. I understand. I mean, trading a guy who was an undrafted free agent, getting a fifth round pick for it from a GM's perspective. That was great from yeah. a fan's perspective of like, so we have four receivers and if, you know, if one of them goes down, Trinity Benson's like a heartbeat away. So for me, I'm yeah. like, why'd you give him away? I get it. But like at the same time, it is, it's, I'm, I'm doing my best to justify. Yeah. it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's always, it's always hard to walk a line. I, I think in sports, especially, it's hard to walk the line of delivering criticism without coming off. You know, like I've tried to do it with a lot of my draft with a lot of the guys that I'm breaking down now that they're in the NFL, whereas I was breaking them down when they were college guys. Cause a lot of guys were like, you know, Oh, you didn't like Justin Fields that much. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't. But like, you know, I always, I always joke about the, the Peyton quote, like God bless football. Like I love football. So if Justin Fields is doing really good on tape, I'm going to say he's doing really good on tape. I'm not going to try to defend my, my point. But then it's like, if I ever levy criticism, then people are like, Oh, you're just a hater. It's like, no, I, like I try to be objective, but it is foot. I, I just think sports fans naturally, like if you provide criticism, usually like it's not taken well. I, I think in the moment it's not taken well. I think when people revisit it later, it usually is better. But well, and I think part of it too is, and again, like this isn't you, and like there's like a kind of a roundabout way into this. So like, I feel like a lot of sports discussions, there's like people that like consciously decide they're going to take an angle. And like yeah. those people, no matter what, they're going to find something to nitpick about a guy or they're going to be overly positive about a guy, no matter what, like, yeah. and there's kind of like those two camps. And one of the things, and again, this is one of the reasons I love talking with you because I feel like I fit in this too. Obviously, you know more than me when it comes to like a lot of this stuff, but like you let the tape tell you like, yeah. like if you see something that you're like, yeah, that was wrong. 
you'll call it out. And again, like from the very first time I heard you break down Drew Locke, you mentioned that and it like immediately caught my eye because it was something I thought. And it was like somebody who really knows what they're talking about is putting to words the thing I saw, the pre-snap, the Atlanta Falcons game with KJ Hamler. Yeah. And, and again, this wasn't you trying to destroy Drew Locke. So like those, like, you know, everyone listening, like this is not where we're going with this. But like, but like when you, when you first criticized Justin Fields, I disagree with you just because I had really, really fallen for Justin Fields as a prospect, yeah. but I thought your points were good ones. And I thought that they were fair. So like, I never thought you hated him. It was more yeah. like, you're pointing it out into you. Cause this is one of those things. A lot of people from the outside don't really realize, like when you're analyzing the tape, we all like kind of view things through our prism of like, what's the most important stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, like we leave and you do this and I, I try to do this. We leave room for like, as we learn more, we adjust. And this yeah. is one of those things that people keep trying to bring this up with me with Garrett Bowles of like, Oh, you hated Garrett Bowles. I was like, yeah, I thought he was garbage. And then guess what? He showed up last year and he immediately from the first week, I was like, yeah, he, he made a jump. Like there's no doubt in my mind. And yeah, yeah I was wrong. I, I underestimated how much he could grow. And I, and I, I'll admit that, but I'm happy. It's hard, did it. it's hard right now because it's like, I, I think the challenge is I think a lot of people want perfect records versus just like, yeah, you know, Hey man, I can change. And, and a lot of this comes from one, the fact that like, this isn't my, like, this isn't what I do for a living. Right. I'm not like trying to like bat a hundred percent. I just really enjoy it. And I think I found a cool little, niche i guess is the word for it of like fans that kind of like want to learn a little bit more so sundays are more fun so i think i found this cool little community that i i'm enjoying a ton being a part of um but i i think i learned in business early on like dude i'd rather adjust our plan and make sure everyone can all of us can still have jobs than think i'm right and run us into the ground right i think that's like a weird you know it's kind of a weird thing right now where i think you're right i think a lot of people like man if i was high on mac jones or if i was high on this guy i have to be like i tweeted the other day how laughably high i was on jamie newman dude doesn't have a job and i was sitting there saying we should take him in the fourth round so it's like i guess i don't know what i'm talking about so i think we all have we all have our hits and misses and and I think it just, I don't know, man. It weirds me out when people won't won't accept that they've had their own. <laughs> well, and again, I know like I'm kind of, this is like getting into the weeds a little bit, but that's one of those things like I've brought up a few times. And again, this is one of those things where I'm trying not to be a hater and bring this up at every turn. But the, the idea with the Broncos passing on Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Yeah. I have brought it up, both of them, because I always bring up both of them when I say this. Personally, I was higher on Justin Fields. Like, I'll admit it. Yeah. I've shared my articles about it. I was lower on Mac Jones than you were. But at the same time, it's not – I tried not to be part of, like, the – part of it was shit posting. I did make some jokes about, like, when yeah. he brought about stuff like that. But at the same time, like, at no point did I think there's no chance he's going to succeed. So, like, when the Broncos passed on him, while I understood – and I probably would have passed on him as well – I am also keeping myself open to the possibility that I could be really wrong. He's, I mean, he, yeah. he just kicked Cam Newton out of new England. And the thing is, if, if Mac Jones or Justin Fields looks good, they both looked good. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. I, so people, I think, to bring, but, Oh, go ahead. You bring up some really fair points when you talk about like, Hey, we added another corner. And I think, I, and I don't think specifically your issues like Sertan is a no, pros. I love Sertan. Right? He's a great player. He's the top it, it is player those, on my board. Yeah, but it is one of those things where it's like, man, even if even if Mac Jones becomes, 
a top 12 guy, right? And then even if Sertan became, becomes, a, you know, a top five corner, what's the difference in value there when you talk about, and, and that's where I think, you know, and, and the thing is, is people then criticize and say, well, Mac Jones is just done in the preseason. It's like, okay, well, same for Sertan, right? You. you know, we didn't play. This is what I've been joking about with people. A lot of is like, you know, I understand why everyone's excited about the Denver defense. Um, I am too, but like we got gashed by a guy named not named Matthew Stafford. So I think it's like, man, it's early to say all we have to do is score 12 and we're going to win every game. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. Like we've got to make sure that that holds up because there's so many, there's so many times where talent, like, yeah, you have a ton of talent, but guess what? Teams are scheming you correctly and gashing you and, Oh, by the way, you play in, you know, one of the toughest conferences in football when it when it comes to just explosive playability, right? Like yeah. this is what people forget about playing defense that I think is so hard. We can you could shut down Kansas City for an entire game except for four plays. So of 70, they only do well on four of them. And guess what? You give up 28 points. Like that's what's so hard about defense versus offense. Right. Offense, it's like we could have 70% bad plays that go for negative two, but as long as we chunk them right after, it doesn't matter. Right. So I think it's that's what we've got to be careful of in Denver. And I, I think that's where I where I always, you know, I understand your point, which is listen, it's not anything against Sertan. It's just like, dude, when you're talking about the quarterback position, if you can get a kid who one day develops into a top 12, top 10 kid, it's hard to it's hard to pass those kind of situations and um it's just it is so interesting well and and to your point there's kind of like a couple parts to this and these are like fundamental beliefs of like where i kind of approach the game i understand like obviously it's offense defense special teams but like in modern football in the nfl offense is more important than defense and special teams like the numbers bear that out like i've dug into this a lot like it's more stable from year to year especially if you have a quarterback because you can rely on the passing game being at least competent. And mm-hmm. the most important player to a passing game is a quarterback. And yeah. then you kind of like build on that, the idea of if you have a quarterback who is actually a good quarterback, you're probably going to have him for 20-ish years or around that ballpark yeah. uh, in today's game. Whereas, and again, and I'm not, I love Sertan. So like none of this is like this. It's just like a relative value type thing. Most yeah. quarterbacks, they have a peak of about eight years and then you have a couple years where they're figuring it out and you have a couple years at the end. But yep. like, even with the best, like the top corners, they don't last nearly as long as a top quarterback. So it's just, yeah. and again, like what it comes down to with this discussion is like, it really boils down to Peyton did not see Justin Fields or Mac Jones as a franchise quarterback. Yeah. And, and again, he'll say a hundred things around that because he's not going to come out and bla- bash him like that. You just don't do that. Yeah. But that's what it actually boils down to. And that's why I make jokes because I, I joke to cope. I know I do that. And yeah. part of it is like, I have to joke because otherwise I'm just upset about it. And I'm not, ups- I don't want to be upset about it. So it's funny to be, make jokes about it, but that's kind of where it yeah, is. I mean, I hope and it, it was a hard season. I mean, it was a hard preseason because in reality, I thought Justin looked really good. I think to me, Chicago's making a mistake by not playing him. Same. But, and then I think like, I want to sit here and bang the table. Like I knew for Mac Jones, I was high on him, but it's like, there was no point in my thought process that I thought Bill Belichick was going to cut Cam Newton for him. Yeah. Right. Like, so the fact that he did that, I think he's already exceeding everyone's 
like Phil Sims could say all he wants that it was QB one or whatever for him, but it's like, dude, like there's a certain point of, I think this whole draft class, you know, I mean, you talked about it on Twitter. I think this whole draft class is, is more or less overachieving what we've seen from rookies before. Um, and, and I think Mac Jones is like ultra overachieving. So that's where it was like a hard preseason. If you're a Broncos fan, cause there were two guys that I feel like, I mean, I wouldn't have been Joe, if me and you were sitting here talking and Mac Jones had barely like had struggled to win the number two job over Hoyer. Yeah. And then Justin Fields had taken 13 sacks like that one that he took in Buffalo. I wouldn't have been shocked either. Yeah. So it's like, there were two scenarios in which it played out and for Broncos fans. It just happened to play out as like, man, the two kids that we could have had are having great preseasons. <laughs> yep. Well, and, and the other part of this is, is now, and again, like you, you probably have a better idea of this based on like what you know of like schemes and stuff, but the numbers bear out the idea that rookie quarterback production in the preseason does not necessarily correlate to what they're going to do in the regular yep. season. And again, like my understanding of this, and again, you'll, let me know if, you know, if I'm in the ballpark on this, a big part of it is the fact that first of all, they're not playing starters for a big chunk of this. Like, yeah. and this is one of the reasons why the Broncos being three and oh is also a little bit of false gold. Like I'm not saying I'm very accompanied, but like, I'm not saying they're going to go into, well, I am, I'm technically saying they're going to go undefeated on Twitter, but guys, that's part of the joke. Um, <laughs> so, you know, don't, don't hold me to that. But like, but the other thing is like, if Justin Fields comes out against the Rams and takes 13 sacks, like, Knowing what I know about him as a prospect, I wouldn't be shocked, but that also doesn't make me suddenly out on him either because yeah. I believe he will develop. And like yeah. my faith in prospects, and you and I are probably very similar on this, like it's not a first game. Yes, I'm right. Like, yeah, it's good signs if they look yeah. good immediately. But like we're looking over the long haul. And again, like I remain very high on Justin Fields, and I and I'm probably higher at Mac Jones now than I was. Yeah. I still I mean, have a lot of the same questions, but I'm very yeah. optimistic that he's figuring out how to how to deal with the questions that I had. Yeah, I think that the the stuff with the stuff with Mac is like, can you overachieve your limitations? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think when you look at what he's done in the preseason, just from a mental standpoint, you feel like God, like this kid gets it. And, and I don't even necessarily think it was Alabama induced. Like, I don't think Sark was running all this stuff that all of a sudden translated to McDaniels. I just think it's like it's partly that kid. Like I told everybody leading up to the draft, there's something that I know that just like means like he's got an edge. So this is my favorite. And I'll tell the story now because it's past the draft. So I was tweeting out stuff about Mac Jones. And then I look at my DM requests and I have a DM from Mac Jones saying, I love your watch the tape mentality. That's how it should be. Anyone that does that and is paying that close attention has a little bit of FU in them. And if you've got some FU in them, like that's what people were trashing Fields about. Like they're like, oh, Justin Fields has burner accounts or whatever. I would like that if I was a GM. Like I want guys that want to stick it to people. Like that's going to help you a lot in the NFL. If you think for one second that Tua really doesn't have cable and doesn't know what's going on, like you're out of your mind. All these guys that are hyper competitive know exactly what's getting said about them. So to me, that's where it's like for Mac, I like that was kind of more or less like played a factor in my eval, whereas I didn't have that with the other guy. So it's like, dude, if if I feel like this kid's going to go in and study and do all this stuff to stick it to people like you have to feel good about him. And honestly, like I don't want to levy this criticism of Drew unfairly, but it feels like this was the first offseason that he took pro football seriously. 
And I would be willing to say that he made a massive jump, but like you can't, you know, wait to take pro football seriously. And I think like, you know, and now he's going up against a veteran who Teddy went through it in Minnesota already and saw, wow, they'll just get rid of me. They don't actually care. And then he went to Carol, New Orleans and saw a pro and then he went to Carolina. And then after one year, they got rid of him and they're paying him to not play quarterback for him. Like there are certain things that happen to a vet that harden you and, and make you take it seriously. Drew kind of hadn't had that. And I, and I, and I almost like wonder if his rookie year when he got thrown in at the end and had success, then put him in this world of like, Oh man. Yeah. And it's just, man, football is to me, it's the most unforgiving thing, especially at the professional level. It's amazing how many quarterbacks you talk to shoot, ask me and, and all of us, man, I feel like I was figuring it out right when they fired me. Right. So it's like, you know, that's, that's the story for a lot of guys. And I'd be willing to bet if Drew doesn't get another shot somewhere, he'd be a guy who, if you asked him, man, he'd, I was just starting to figure it out and then, you know, I got beat out. So I think it's, it's just such an unforgiving game. And unfortunately I feel like maybe Drew specifically, and again, I don't want to say that he wasn't working hard because I'm sure that he was, I'm sure that he was working the way he had always worked, which is I'm going to go take receivers and throw, but there's a difference between that and studying like a pro all summer. Well, and, and there's kind of two parts to this. And I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned this because this is one of those things that back in the heated moments of like the Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater stuff, people got into their camps and they kind of looked at like when I said this and they just thought I was trying to rain on Drew Locke. But like Tim Patrick at one point said, like, he's like a different player. And again, yeah. part of that, he went back and retracted part of that. And I get it. But also like, there's probably a little bit of truth in that. And that this off season, knowing he has to fight for his job, and this was the first time he actually had to do it since Missouri, like since yeah. early at Missouri, like there's no doubt that that probably played a part in it. And so for yeah. me, it was like that, that does kind of ring of a, like when you go back to like some of the stuff that had ha coming out of the draft, I remember that kind of being a thing of like, there was, there was GM saying that that might be a concern. So it was just stuff yeah. that you kind of kept in the back of your mind. Um, but the other thing that you mentioned with Bridgewater, and this is one of those reasons, and I'm, I'm glad we we're kind of going into this. This is one of those reasons why I am actually more optimistic about what Teddy Bridgewater might offer going forward than a lot of people. And it's not that I think he's necessarily going to come in and turn into a Hall of Fame player, but the fact that he's had these experiences, the fact that he learned from Drew Brees, how to prepare, how to approach a game, like the Broncos young offense, they have not had that up to this point they had yeah. joe flacco and again i you know i don't know where you land on joe flacco but when the broncos dra uh, traded for joe flacco i was like i was all the way out on john elway at that point because i <laughs> he looked like a corpse he looked like a corpse for three years and then the broncos gave a pick for him and it just it blew my mind that it happened but like so i didn't ever think flacco was the right idea i didn't think he was the right mentor for drew lock any of that stuff um i get that he won a super bowl like i'm not trying to you know completely take away that stuff but like but Bridgewater offers like these experiences and this approach to the game that I don't think the offense has really had up to this point. And I think that should help them. And down the road, if George Payton decides to go get a rookie next year, and this is something I want to touch on too, you have mentioned, and this is where you and I discussed this on Twitter, the idea that like quarterbacks are entering the league more prepared now than ever. And for me, like where I look at this next year's class, like from what I've seen with this class, like, I don't think any of them are going to probably hit the league next year ready to play other than maybe Rattler. Yeah. But if the Broncos have a guy in place that could actually help bridge that, 
they might be able to make it work. Yeah. I think that I think the thing that makes the this is what I think makes the Broncos situation specifically hard is someone asked me this question. What could Teddy do for you to say, wow, I'll pay him $20 million? And for me, it was like, well, nothing. Like, just to be fair to him outside of like make a serious run in the playoffs. Yep. And it's nothing against Teddy. It's just to me, I I'm I'm a like I, I believe that a lot of times we overpay for quarterbacks and what happens is you then dilute the rest of your roster. And unless he really is Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> like it's hard to sustain excellence doing that. So I think for Teddy specifically, it just, there's nothing he could do. So I worry about like, how could that That's like, true. then what happens? Like Teddy balls out, but we missed the playoffs by a game. Like, do you let him go? Do you resign it? Like, how does that work? Especially if you go after a young guy, um, in terms of the guys this 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 coming year, you know, for me, it's like I, one I haven't studied them enough. Yeah. Um, but I do think just holistically, I think quarterback play is getting better. Obviously, I'm biased, right? I'm in the industry in terms of, but I also think it's like there are a we lot of guys like me that played in the NFL, even if it was just a little bit, and then got cut because we sucked. But then are teaching like like I have third graders who a kill package isn't foreign to them, right? Like they're not going out to youth football and killing from 40 to 50, right? But they, our coaches are trying to teach them, here's what it is and showing them tape. Like that was unheard of, right? Like no one was doing that, you know, ten, when I was coming through the like ranks, like there were maybe some camps that would teach you how to throw a better spiral, but that was it. Like it wasn't like intensive the way it is now. So I do think like this class – aside right like hey this class could be the ebb and flow but i just think quarterback play in general is going to get better and better for the next you know five to ten years whatever it is to where you know before everyone else catches up and then all of a sudden there's the db training and all this other stuff that i think will then help every other position um but i do think we're entering into a time where i think mac jones and trey lance and these guys that can process the game at such a high level i think we'll see more and more of them coming into the league yep. now does that still there's still so many other factors into playing quarterback and like to me the biggest one is how does a guy react when he goes from living on a scholarship check to being rich and like known like those are all questions like like to me johnny manzel like yeah winning the heisman arguably could have been the worst thing to ever happen to the kid right like there's so many things that we don't factor into this um, and I, and I hate like levying criticism to people that I don't like actually know personally, but those, there's so many factors where it's like, there's so many guys that you just look at and you go, man, like people knowing your name was too much. Like you needed someone in your corner saying, dude, that doesn't matter. Cause like the second you stop winning, everyone doesn't talk to you. So that's where it's like, those are the other things that you wouldn't know. But I just think from a football perspective, we're going to enter a pretty good era of quarterbacks. Um, and, and, and I'm excited. And I think this draft class is maybe the first of it. Now this draft class very well could be excellent. And the next ones are only producing two or three. And this one does five. Um, but I do think we're entering an era where it is going to be, I don't want to say easier, but I think you will be able to find better and better quarterback play. 
Well, and part of that too, and again, like this is going back to what you just said about Bridgewater. Like, that's why, like, I agree with you, first of all. I think it would be very, very, like, he's going to have to be out of his mind for me to, like, yeah. support paying him franchise quarterback money. Um, That was honestly, and again, like, I, I think you and I touched on this a little bit, but that was actually a concern for me back when it looked like a competition. It might be Locke. Not because I don't think, like, if Locke turned it on and became a franchise guy, I have no problem keeping him. I know I've been very yeah. critical. But like at the end of the day, I want the Broncos to just have a good quarterback. Like I don't yeah. like I'll be wrong if that guy is the guy. But yeah. the thing for me is, first of all, uh, I went and looked at the numbers about this. You know, right before we you know, we came on, the Broncos, according to the numbers, are facing I want to say the twenty seventh easiest or the twenty seventh hardest schedule this year. Um, and that's outside the AFC West. Obviously, the West is going to probably be a murderer's row. But yeah. like like football outsiders is pretty low on the NFC East. Um, the Steelers are probably going to be down unless Ben, you know, really. Yeah puts it on. Um, so like they have the Ravens, they have the Browns, but the rest of their schedule is pretty manageable. So my fear, and again, like Peyton's comments about this, like Peyton's comments about this don't help me in this regard, but I also think he's smarter than QB wins. I yeah. don't believe in QB wins as a, as a, you know, overarching, like you win 10 games, I'm going to pay you. You have yeah. to perform within those 10 games, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that is a fear for me with Bridgewater and lock with, you know, whoever it is, is that like the Broncos make the playoffs and then they overpay to keep him. And all of a sudden they can't pay Sutton. They can't pay the guys who actually helped him win. That said, if the Broncos can make, can keep Bridgewater on like a manageable contract, I really like the idea of how he fits in the rest of this as a distributor. And I think essentially like an Alex Smith type, he can kind of like bridge the gap until you have a guy who can actually take the reins and win in spite of any sort of deficiency around him. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think that's a great point. And I think that the question is just going to be the like, how does it shake out? And then what's yeah. the value in terms of how much are is that guy, you know, because like, listen, if Teddy goes off, like any quarterback, I think could with this supporting cast and what I think, and personally, what I'm seeing with with Shermer, like I'm I'm real juiced up about some of his play designs, like I, there's stuff that like, I just I don't think that even the rest of the league does that he's doing. Um but if he all of a sudden goes off, it's like the 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 market to try to keep him is going to be insane. And then it's like there's been, and then you're faced with so many things as a GM because you're faced with do I really let a guy who just led us to the playoffs out of the building? Yep, because the optics of that is going to be bad. But at the yeah. same time, if you're right, and again, this is where like, and I agree with you because this is one of those things like the Browns back I want to say it was 2007. Derek Anderson, Derek Anderson yeah. had a career year. The Browns decided to give him like a $30 million contract over two years or something ridiculous. And then he yeah. turned back into a pumpkin. Yeah. And, and th the rationale at the time was like, he just saved our jobs and, I, and he yeah. did like, there's no doubt, but like, just because he saved your job doesn't mean that you should overpay him. And they did. And so like, there's that aspect of all this that like, we kind of have to look at with Peyton too. And I think Elway would definitely do it. So like, that makes me kind of glad that it probably won't be Elway. Um, yeah. I don't, we don't know if Peyton will. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's a, it is, a, it's a, it's the, it's one of the hardest things and it's just such a visible position that like the fan base and way, the way they attach to the guy that does certain things. Like I remember there were people that were like pissed that they let Brock leave. Yep. Like, and to me, it's like, wow, that was a great decision. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I think there's just so many factors that go into it, which, which makes the, spot looking forward 
Like it was murky this year. I think now looking forward, it's like there's just so many factors. Again, though, I think Broncos country, right, would be more excited if it was like, man, let's debate on whether or not to bring Teddy back after making the playoffs. Like that would be a that would be a nice change for everybody. So I think that's something that, you know, if he can get it done, I think they will factor it in. Um, but like you said, it's just going to be all around like what's the value? Like what can we actually justify paying him? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I think that that's one of those things that, like, in the worst moments of, like, once Teddy Bridgewater was named the starter, I don't know if you dealt with a lot of this, but I dealt with a ton of this, where, like, basically, no matter what I said about the Broncos, I was getting at least somebody commenting back, it doesn't matter. They have another journeyman. They're going nowhere. Yeah. And my yeah. whole and my whole argument to that was like, dude, this roster is built to win this year, and like, yeah. and and I'm not saying that like like that that's quarterback aside, that was true the whole time. Like, yeah. Von Miller is a free agent after this year. Melvin Gordon, you know, all the names. Like, I there's a ton of guys, and like a lot of those guys aren't coming back. Like, I Von Miller is going to have to be crazy and or take a pay cut to come back. And I I say this is the biggest Von Miller fan in the world. Yeah. Kareem Jackson is almost definitely gone after this year because the Broncos have a hundred safeties now. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things that like it paid to win now. And for me, like, and, and I think you and I have kind of been on this, like when it looked like Drew Locke was going to win, like right after the Minnesota game, I was like, dude, if Drew Locke is close enough that they decide that the potential plus what he's doing is good enough to go with him. I'm with it. Like, yeah. let's do it. Like, but if they decided that they don't think that Drew Locke's issues are going to resolve over the course of the season, they go at Bridgewater. I'm cool with that too. And I just want to win this year. Like I'm tired of watching meaningless football in October. Like that's yeah. getting kind of old. Yeah. Well, it's a, and it's a great point. I think, you know, I think after the Minnesota game, I think everyone, I, I, you know, the Minnesota game's tough. Cause I, he did, you know, he really did play lights out. Yeah. And then he follows it up with like a Seattle performance that like, to me, you know, and I, and I, I did all the tape breakdowns, but it's like, it wasn't great. It didn't look great, but at the same time, it's like, there's so many, like I pointed out that like left tackle bus, like there's just yep. things that went on that were like, this makes no sense. And then it's like, to me, those guys were like net net. And then at that point, I just think they were like, we got to rip the bandaid off. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I, Listen, like if you were to ask me, Tim, based on the tape, what do you think? I would have gone Drew Locke, like transparently. Yeah. I also am not like, I'm not naive. I don't get access to what actually mattered. I don't have the practice tape. And I'm willing to bet that the practice tape played like a slightly different story. And it's like, this is what I've been trying to like relay to everybody. I know that like the wide open, the like Noah Fant 40 yard touchdowns get people juiced up. Yep. But that's not factoring into the decision making because what they want to know like there's so many other nuances that i try to point out on tape like just like the motion down can zip stuff with drew like that was an evolution in his game and then some of the kill stuff teddy did like there's certain things that i try to point out because fans i don't think appreciate how important it is to a coach and and that's what what i'm willing to bet is why the it went bridgewater was just 
I'm willing to bet that stuff happened more often at practice. And and you got to be honest about it, which is, hey, practice one on our ones versus their ones probably matters more to them than a preseason game our ones versus their twos. And and I think that probably played a much bigger role than people want to admit. Um, you know, like, listen, if you were to ask an NFL coach in the middle of a quarterback battle, if he would prefer his preseason games to not be televised, I'm, I bet he would take that option because it's just like perfect for overreaction, right? Like think how easy it would be for Matt Nagy right now if he didn't have Justin Fields going on TV, lighting it up, right? Like it's just so much easier. <laughs> One of the things that really helped me this year, because like I, I do the roster prediction stuff with Mile High Report every year and I've done it, you know, yeah. since I started. One of the things I thought that really helped me get better at it this year was the fact that I had the podcast to be able to chat because I'm not in Denver. I don't get to actually see the practices. Yeah. And again, anybody listening, if you ever want to hire me to go to Denver and actually do this all the time, I would love to. I'd love to. <laughs> um, but, but like, because I didn't get to go to the practices, I have always known like I'm missing that part of the eval. Yeah. And in the past, that made like basically roster predictions. It's a little bit of a stab in the dark because you have no idea. Yeah. Well, one of the things I really tried to do a better job of this year is talk to the guys on the ground, seeing it every day as much as I could. It's still not the same, yeah. but at least gave me an idea of like, well, PJ Locke is looking really good in these, in the, you know, in these games. Well, turns out George Stoya told me, oh, he actually has looked pretty good in practice too. It's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind, stuff yeah. like that. So it's just like, to your point, without seeing those practices and without kind of taking in the, the quote unquote boring parts of like each position fans miss that yeah. and and then you add on the the idea that like everyone kind of gets into camps when it comes to quarterbacks it turns into like a yeah. political figure where we we're fans yeah. of the player beyond like the team so people yeah. just start to kind of like put on blinders and miss a lot of stuff and again like i'm not saying that was solely lock i'm not saying that solely it, it just overall yeah. it happens in every like we're seeing that right now in chicago yeah and i mean, I mean it you know listen i saw it with the fan base like like there were people that no matter what drew did like he would to them he was a turnover machine Yep. Right. And like, yep. listen, you know, it's, and it's natural. And I, and like, I think everyone, you know, it was, it, listen, Broncos fans love the Denver Broncos. Yep. And the most important thing is who your quarterback is. So it's natural to like, once someone thinks they know that they're going to speak up and honestly, it's what makes football great. Like I, I really, and this is something where I differ on some players nowadays is like, dude, I'm a huge, do whatever you want. If you're a fan. Like, I know there's a lot of people who are like, don't tweet at these guys. It's their job. It's like, no, like this is such a, like, it's such a cool job to have that people care what you do. Like tweet at them. Like, it's fine. Like they're going to be fine. They're, they're big boys and they know they're not doing good too. Like to me, I'm one of those guys. Like, I just like, this is what makes the NFL so great. And like, if we remove things like, you know, I'll never forget. I went to a Rockies game and I took my staff and we got gifted some seats where we're right behind home plate. My quarterback coach in Colorado, Justin Holland, he's a hilarious guy, huge baseball fan. And he's like ragging the Dodgers. And then one of the ushers comes over and is like, hey, would you want them to yell at your work environment? It's like I get yelled at all day by parents. What are you talking about? So for me, I'm like, you know, I, I think we've we've lost a little bit of how important fans are to this whole deal. And like people when it came to you're right it's like a political figure when it comes to playing quarterback in the national football league man people are going to attach to it's like it's what we saw with tebow yes right like Thank people you. fell in love with the guy who like you know for me i'm one of those guys like i was like i fell in love with him too because to me he's like just a guy who just works his ass off yeah. 
Yep. Like I get why there's like I, I I understand like the complexity of the issue and why everybody like doesn't like, but like that's why so many people were drawn to him was just like he was like a guy that you sat there and you're like, man, I would love to like just hang out with him for a day and see what he's like. There's there's people that like Peyton Manning's one of those guys. Yep. Like Peyton Manning, he just seems like your neighbor. Like you'd love to hang out with him. So I, I I get why everyone was so divided with Drew and Teddy. Unfortunately, I think. What I worry about is that it got to such a point that like Teddy can't can't do enough. Yep. And that's kind of unfair when you're trying to look at these guys. And that's one of those things. And, and to your point with Tebow, like I've been very out on Tebow just because as a player, I don't like know. I never thought he was a good enough quarterback. But yeah. like I know when the Broncos drafted him, I I was a huge Florida fan during that era. And like the yeah. way you know, and it was a fun it was a fun run. And so it was yeah. like when the Broncos did draft him, yeah, of course I wanted him to succeed. And yeah. when you heard Von Miller talk about how like he taught him about leadership, like I believe it because yeah. like, Tebow always came across as that kind of guy. Like he's the kind of guy you would want to run through a wall for. And like, yeah. I think Drew has a lot of that too. And again, like when he came out, the way people immediately reacted to like his press conferences and stuff like that, like there's something to that. And that's something to that in the locker room. But to your point, I am worried about that going forward because like, as of now, and again, like maybe it changes, but as of now, Bridgewater is the starting quarterback. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to kind of like, like a, I am making an effort to like really be on this of like, I want whoever the quarterback is to succeed. Yeah. And like the potential in Denver with the media sphere, you know, just however it is for it to turn into just like this really ugly back and forth all year thing. I don't want yeah. that because no one wins in that situation. Yeah. And I so think like, for me, it's like, dude, I just want whoever it is to do well. Yeah. And I think what's hard, and this is what, you know, I said when I did the tape breakdowns this week was I said, it's going to be natural when you're watching stuff to think, I wonder what Drew would have done. And honestly, like, you know, we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast with Mac and Cam. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of why Belichick cut Cam. Oh, I think it is. Because he sat there and he, and he goes, what I don't want all year is people saying, I wonder if Cam could have done better. So he just cuts him. And to me, it's like, you know, I, I'm by no means am I advocating to cut Drew Locke. And I and I don't think there's the same dynamic because I think Cam is, you know, potentially a superstar. And so, like, when you're dealing with guys that people remember MVP runs and, like, Super Bowl runs, like, that's a different deal than dealing with, you know, Drew. Um, but, I, I, I you know, it's going to be natural for people to sit there and go, man, I wonder a Drew. And then I also think what you're talking about with the media narrative in terms of the media was split and it wasn't like it was not the most honest discussions no. going on. Like, and, and like, I'm a, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm fairly educated when it comes to quarterback play and like some of the stuff that was getting said. And this is partly why I think people took me as like a drew lock lover last year was it was just like, I was unwilling to be like, Hey, drew can't read left. Like, that's just not true. Like, and I understand that some analytics are fun. Like he completes less to this side or this side, but, but it's like, dude, but, but I'm not that... a quarterback who's like Zoolander and can't turn left. <laughs> well, like it to, just doesn't happen. Well, and to your point too, like people, like people, and I do this too. And this is one of those things I try to do a better job of. Like when I, when I do analytics stuff, cause again, like I'm not a math guy, believe it or not. Like, and people kind of misconstrue this just because I do lean on analytics stuff. But like, yeah. that's one aspect of like, like I didn't play quarterback. Like I played high school football and then I got to be a film, like a film guy and eventually a video coordinator for our D2 team 
I yeah. loved it. I would love to do it again. Yeah. But like, I am very aware. Like one of the things that I always have thought is like a way to be smarter than I actually am is to know what I don't know. And I, and I'm not, a am not, a, I'm not insecure about that. Like I know I don't have those, you know? And so for me, it's like one of those things I try to do with analytics is try and fill in the blanks where I can. And also they're not subjective. Like they can be, you can, you can twist them, but if yeah. you try to be honest about it, like I can tell, like, and, and this is something I was going to bring up with you. Uh, you and I have discussed this before in DMS is that the Carolina offense had problems in the red zone last year. Yeah. Well, I went and looked at the the DVOA numbers. This is like, you know, the efficiency numbers from Football Outsiders. The Carolina offense was one of the three worst offenses in football in the red zone last year. Yeah. And like neither quarterback both and again, I know you're you, you've trained and you know PJ Walker. Yeah. Like he was not free of that either. Both Bridgewater and yeah. him kind of suffered through it. So to me, that's a sign that it has more to do with the system they're in, the environment yeah. than just the quarterback themselves. And that's not yeah. me saying that Bridgewater is going to go out and throw, you know, a hundred touchdowns, but that's just me trying to like point out. And this is something I try and do with analytics is pointing out that the, the narrative of, Oh, Bridgewater can't throw in the red zone. I think yeah. that's false. And in yeah. your point with Locke, like the idea of like, Oh, he can't throw left. It was like the numbers. And when I've looked at the numbers, it suggests that he's worse throwing to the left, but most right-handed yeah. quarterbacks are. Yep. So and like I when, think, people, when people twist that like they do, I think that's bad faith, similar yeah. to a lot of the other narratives. I find it because for me, like I, I love what you're saying because one, like I, I've been honest the whole time on Twitter of like I lean heavily on film, right? Like yeah. I, the analytics stuff to me is interesting, but like when I hear like okay, Drew Lock, uh, left side completion percentage compared to right side, my thought isn't. And like, this is where I got frustrated with some of the radio guys was it's like, can't throw left. This guy's never been able to throw left, can't throw left. To me, it's like, there's a problem to be solved. Well, what is it? Like, is it the way we structure formations? Is it what we, is it that we run the ball to the left? So then the field naturally is to the right. Like, is it mechanically? Like, I want to go solve the problem. Not like, because I know from playing that there's never been a point in time where I was worried about throwing to a side. And I could only assume if that was for me, it's for all these guys that are actually playing on Sunday. So for it, like, that's where I, like, I, I love what you're saying. Cause even with Carolina, like there's certain things that you can learn about offenses. Then it's like, wow, this makes total sense because what you were seeing on tape was a lack of red zone concepts. And then you now patch in the analytics and it's like, you have a much bigger, better picture Versus saying like, you know, like there were a lot of people, Joe, that I talked to, like that were directors of certain bowl games that were like, Mac Jones won't be able to play in the NFL because he's not good in the red zone. It's where you see his velocity show up. Like, I don't know if you guys watched the Haas clip, but it's like velocity looked pretty good there. Like, so it's like, there's just so many things where it's like, did he really struggle in the red zone or did Tennessee perfectly match up the quarters look to what they were running. And then the next play, they handed it to Najee and he scored like what's it's relative. Well, and that to me is one of those reasons why I try as much. And again, like I'm not, I, I will never be as good at breaking down film as you. And I know it like, and I'm, I'm totally okay with it. And that's one of the reasons why I try and pick your brain as much as I can. So thank you for letting me, <laughs> uh, but like, but like one of the things I try to do with what I know about film is I try and blend that and supplement that with what I know about analytics yeah. And so like when you say that with Mac Jones, that's also something that's come up with Teddy Bridgewater is the idea that like his arm isn't as good. And again, like his arm is 
you and I've talked about this before. Like his arm is it's NFL caliber, but yes, it's not Drew Locke's arm. Like there's, there's, yeah. there's no way around that. Yeah. And so a lot of people see that and they say, well, because your arm is weaker, you're not going to be able to squeeze the ball in as well. And part of that's probably true. But at the same time, then you, then for me, like the next thing I look at is, well, what do the numbers say about this? If I can find something. Yeah. And, and one of the things, and again, like I have not found something yet to like support that the arm talent, like, so like, that's a whole, you know, another thing I'll, I'll get back yeah. to you once I find that. But like with the red zone stuff, the one thing that makes me feel a little bit better with the Broncos situation with Bridgewater. Now, if Bridgewater's arm really is a question mark in the red zone. Well, one thing that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Well, the Broncos last year in power, you know, quote unquote power situations were one of the three best teams in football running the ball. Yeah. And the Broncos look, and again, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I looked at Shermer's tape in the preseason, part of it's also preseason, but I, it definitely looks like he is going to make more of a concentrated effort to run power football this year. Yeah. Like more two tight end sets. It looked like more heavy personnel. And part of that, like, yeah. I feel good about that because the Broncos only have five receivers on the roster and that yeah. makes me nervous. But like, also no fan Albert O look like if they stay healthy, they're a problem. Yeah, I want to add to what you're saying because, yeah. like, to me, so the red zone narrative in terms of arm strength in the red zone, I think is go back and think, like, what are the touchdowns that pop in your head, right? It's like throwback. It's pop pass. Like, these aren't high stress velocity situations. It's scheme. You scheme someone up right in the red zone, the touchdowns are usually wide open, right? Like, of course, there's natural, like, oh, well, I remember this guy fitting it in. Sure, we all have those clips. But I think by and large, they're scheme-induced. What I would tell you about what Pat Shermer did, Pat Shermer, the two plays in the red zone that stick out to me were the one that the Teddy Bridgewater touchdown that on the TV copy looked like just a little speed out to Hamler. Yep. And yep. it was against a nickel pressure, and it looked like the easiest throw. When I dug deeper on that, that is 100% a same-side RPO, which the only other team that I've seen do that in football is the New York Jets. So to me, what happened – was Shermer studied the BYU stuff, saw the same side RPO, and integrated it into their offense. And the Jets just happened to get Zach Wilson, who then was like, hey, man, I really like this stuff. So, like, that was insane. Because So what happens is if the nickel stays outside, you have the run numbers, boom, we hand it off, easy touchdown. When the nickel becomes inserts in the box and the safety drops down, well, now Teddy pulls, flips, and throws, and we have the advantage. So it's like, that was beautiful. And then the wham pass... Like when they motioned the short tight end and did wham pass and drew lock through the touchdown, like that was incredible too. And people like take it for granted because they, they don't understand the nuance of the short motion to show wham in the red zone yep. influences people so much comparatively to just a traditional boot. And the other thing that I'll add about Shermer, I have never, the way they set up boot with the way they show zone and then pull a meaningless guy but pulling people triggers the backers. I've never seen it before. It's like it's such a level of never seeing it that like the coaching circles I'm in, I talk to people about it and like guys at the, the football programs that everybody cheers for on Saturday and sell out 100,000, like want tape on it. Like this stuff is so innovative. And like, it's just, it's one of those things that like when coordinators hear about it, they're like, Oh, that's like no, sh no shit. Right. Like that's yeah. awesome. And he's been doing it. They did it last year and then they're doing more of it this year. And I just love it. So to me, it's like, man, Pat Schirmer a guy that I was really hard on at the beginning of the season last year. And I was more hard on him because there were just so many busts 
Yeah. And there were like bus and routes. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, listen, we can sit there and say, oh, it's these young guys, but the reality or, oh, it's COVID induced. But the reality is there's a lot of new staffs that aren't having this issue. So it's got to be teaching, right? It's how we're relaying the message. But man, I think that guy, you know, and Joe, you know me, I'm pretty arrogant. So I think, of course, it happened when the YouTube channel started, because I think he started getting some good ideas. But, <laughs> you know, in reality, he's just, he's evolved so much. And they ran the Blaze 8 route with Cortland Sutton, which is something they'd never shown. But like, there's just so much stuff that, like, is to me, it's so fun. And I almost wonder if Shermer's at a point where he feels like, man, I'm rolling scheme-wise, and I think we have this thing dialed. And that's where they also lean Teddy, was it's like, man, I kind of want a guy who understands what he's getting from the defense a little bit more. Because I'd love to do more PSLs, or I'd love to do this. That if you have a vet who just understands, yeah, the safety's at eight right now, but I know just based on structure, they're kicking back into two. Like, I wonder if that factored into the decision. But I do think Shermer's, you know, and then, of course, now the Broncos are going to come out and suck in the first three weeks offense after I say this. But, like, I think he's on such a good track with the way they're evolving this offense. Well, and and this is a back before training camp, you and I talked about Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater, and that was actually something – it stuck in the back of my mind this whole time – that you thought may end up being a big deciding factor is this idea that Shermer probably looks at Bridgewater and sees somebody he can. And, and again, you mentioned this on one of the clips of Bridgewater, like they took something from Bridgewater's time in Carolina. Yeah. Like they took skier. Yeah. yeah. They, but they, they're able to like actually kind of a give and take relationship. Whereas yeah. with Drew, it's more of like, here's what we're doing. Yeah. And, and, and I think that matters when I, and I, I mean, Shermer has to know this basically if the, bottom falls out of the bag this year. Shermer's probably not getting another coordinator job next year. Like you're kind of like on a downward slope right now. Yeah. Like he has to kind of have a year if he's going to try and stay in it. And again, like I understand it. I'm totally okay with it. Like if he doesn't perform, he doesn't perform, but like, I'm very excited because based personally on like what you've shared, but also yeah. like, like I've seen it too. Like this Broncos offense looks better than I expected it to, to this point. And again, granted preseason, but like when you look at the actual individual talent and again, like you've probably noticed this as well, like the receiving core is legitimately awesome if they can stay healthy. Um, and I was going to ask you like kind of where you land on Cortland Sutton, just because like, yeah, like the knee is obviously a concern. Um, but yep. 2019 Cortland Sutton looked like he was heading towards being a $20 million receiver. Yeah. Well, one, I think, I mean, Cortland, I think is unreal. I think if he can get back to just 80% of the level, that he was at. And I, I like hate saying that because I'm sure he'll, he'll exceed it. But if he can just get back to 80% of it, when you factor in Jerry, Judy and KJ and Tim Patrick, like the group as a whole, they, they complement each other very well. Like there's a difference between having a bunch of number one receivers that everyone are excited about. Like, that's what I think the Browns were with like Odell and Landry. Like, I think it was a bunch of the same guy. You want a bunch of the uh, different guys, right? Like, that's going to make your offense better because it's going to make it more versatile. KJ can take the roof off like, and then certain guys are going to sit down on Reed, whereas KJ is going to run by him. like that first, sorry. And this is like, so football geek, but that oh. first touchdown in Minnesota, I talk about XZ Reed a lot, which is where you have both guys on the outside off of play action. They run this read route, which is basically, Hey, run by him. If you can, if not sit at 20, Yep. Judy sits, right? KJ blazes past everybody. Like that's the beauty of when you have different personnel out there is 
same exact play, same exact route. One guy's thinking the whole time I'm taking the roof off this mf'er, right? And the other guy's going to sit down, and that's what that's what makes your offense so good. The one thing I wanted to – and sorry, I want to jump back to Pat oh. Schirmer for one second because what I think I'm most excited about is the wrinkles that I'm seeing show up that I saw on the Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson tape. So what I'm guessing is the Broncos were saying, listen, we're going to evaluate all four of these guys if we really want to make a jump up. And what I'm most excited about is that we have an offensive coordinator who is like not egocentric enough to then be like, oh, this is the college game. It sucks. And like pull concepts from it. And now we're seeing them show up in preseason. So I'm imagining if I saw four in the preseason, what am I going to see in the actual season? And then like you talked about, right, they stole spear from Carolina you know, there was a clip of something the Broncos tweeted out before the social people stopped showing plays of what everyone's calling leak. Chicago ran it, but we I called it why shallow special, which is, hey, it's a shallow route that turns up. Like, there's stuff showing up that unless you were watching North Dakota State or you were watching Ohio State, you don't see it a lot of. So, you know, Ohio State was ran a ton of spear. So I almost wonder if it's like, hey, you was talking with Teddy and then Teddy's like, oh, yeah, we ran a ton of it in Carolina and then they meshed because you know they use Carolina's version but like it's you can tell where these things come from and I, I just think it's a really exciting thing to have a guy hello it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com that's ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VGW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus who's been and like listen Pat has been in the NFL for a long time if anyone deserves to have somewhat of an ego and like you know, some leather on his skin. Like, I'm not going to listen to other people because I'm going to get fired regardless. It's him. And he's sitting there and he's adjusting things. So to me, I just think that's a that's a huge thing. But to get back to the receivers, man, like Cortland Sutton, to have that kind of dominant guy outside, that's where I think when you look at Teddy and maybe some of his red zone struggles, you wonder how much of it, like, I can't remember outside of New Orleans him playing with a guy like Cortland who oh. can just go get a fade. And then also, like, here's the guy that I'm going to throw out that I just think is a superstar, is Noah Fant. Yep. Like, if you get him on some what we call stick nods and you just, we you know, we call it an upright shot, but you throw at the crossbar and let him go get it. Like, man, there's so much cool stuff you could do. You get Jerry Judy running the big six in the back of the end zone and then the six special where he sells the in and goes back to the corner. Like there's just so much stuff that to me, it's like scheming touchdowns, which then help with what we talked about at the beginning, which is, yeah, Drew Locke's arm is better than his. But, you know, like I would tell you Drew Locke's arm is better than Tom Brady right now. Like Drew Locke's arm is better than, you know, I don't want to say Rodgers because I still think Rodgers is so gifted. But there are guys in the NFL where it's like he's way past that are like still great NFL quarterbacks. So I think we can't overweight the arm strength. Well, and that's one of those things that like, I think, and again, it, this is all assuming if Teddy Bridgewater is able to execute it, but like if Shermer is like, if Shermer can't make this receiving core look like a very good offense, like then, yeah, he is probably a problem. 
Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's just, and again, like, yes, health is all, you know, it's always like in the back of our minds, but like no fan looks like he should be a top 10 tight end at some point in the next year or two. Like he's on that yeah. trajectory. Quilton Sutton was going to be a top 10 receiver before he got hurt. Jerry Judy, before he got drafted, I thought he was heading towards being one of the best receivers in terms of separators in the league. Yeah. And last year showed a lot of hints of that. There's issues. Yeah. But like, Everything we've heard so through camp so far is like he's on that trajectory again. Yeah. KJ Hamler was actually in a small sample size was almost impossible to cover in man man coverage last year. Yeah. KJ's the guy who it's like, you know, I, I'm I don't want to act like I'm not excited about all the others, but KJ's the guy on tape that when I watch it, I think to myself, if I was an offensive coordinator and I could have any of these weapons, it's KJ Hamler. And I've already come on this podcast and talk about what I would want to do with him in terms of bringing him in the backfield and doing different stuff. But he's a guy that is just like, you, we, you can't take for granted what these slot guys that can take the roof off do for, like we built, we, we run Sam, we run those deep overs so much to have a guy like KJ who can haul it across the field that fast. Like you can't take it for granted. Um, the only thing that I would say that I'm, I don't want to say I'm worried. But the only thing that I'm like, my hesitation at all starts to pull me back is like, I agree about the Pat Shermer thing. If he can't make it work, like that's on him. With the caveat of as long as the head coach doesn't come down and say, we're winning like the Jets did with Sanchez. I agree. Like, no, as agree. long as we're not like, as long as we don't pull the reins back on Shermer so much that it's like, my worry is like, I don't want I, the Broncos to me. I don't want to see a let's try to not lose this game on offense philosophy. Okay. If that okay. happens, I just don't think we can compete in this division. I, I just don't think it's realistic. One thing that gives me some hope with that, and again, I might be wrong, but like a couple years ago, I want to say it was right after the Flacco trade. I remember Fangio saying essentially something along the lines of like he believes in balance. But he doesn't necessarily believe it has to be just a run pass split. Like he yeah. said, like there was more, like I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he, he basically went on to talk about like how like you need to be balanced. You need to be able to do a bunch of, you know, a bunch of stuff and present issues to a defense. So like my hope is he understands that like as a, you know, but I agree with you, like defensive guys tend to like they pucker, like there's no yeah. other way around it. Like when, yeah. when the, when their backs against the wall, a lot of times they, they, they're like, I don't want the offense to lose me the game. And what they yep. do is then all of a sudden they turtle and they just, they, they basically lose the game for themselves. I, well, I a lot of it comes from, they harp on turnovers. They want to generate turnovers. So then when they see an offense that turns the ball over, they think we're going to lose Yep. because they think if they generate turnovers, they're going to win. And the reality is, is like, there's more to you it. You know, you can turn over the ball over all you want, as long as you're explosive. And to me, it's like defenses. You can give up points as all you want, as long as you're explosive, which is takeaway. So it's like, there's just a balance to it, but I do think, like you're saying, it's a deep-rooted psychology thing for those defensive guys. <laughs> well, and and so the one thing that gives me some pause with the offense beyond that is uh, the offensive line. And again, like I don't, and you mentioned you mentioned Calvin Anderson blowing the block. And again, like I don't want to get into the weeds too much on this, but like from what you've seen, kind of where do you land on the offensive line? Like I'm not saying like. I don't think it's going to be a top 10 offensive line in the league, yeah. but I do think that this might be again, health, you know, health holding out. I think they might be the best offensive line since Peyton Manning retired. Like we know, we yeah, know Bulls think... is competent. The guards look good. 
Yeah, and I think what you I think what you saw with the Seattle Teddy, the navigating the pocket is what he's gonna have to do. I think as long as he can do that, this line will hold up well enough. And I think Teddy, in terms of the mic point and manipulating to where the protection's a little bit firmer, is really gonna help this offensive line. Um, but I think yeah, I don't think they're gonna be like dominant like the Cowboys were with like Zeke for a while there. Yep. But I think they're good enough. And as long as as quarterbacks, we can make them right with our pocket movement, we're going to be fine. The question it becomes for me is like, I thought there was such a severe drop off with that second unit. And I think it me showed too. up for Drew in the Seattle game and Teddy in the Minnesota game. Me too. That the depth is what worries me, right? Is like, yep. if we have to plug certain people in, do we still feel good? You know, I, I think that the nice thing is we are so versed in 12 that a lot of what you can do in 12 is you can get in the gun and you can bring both those tight ends off the line of scrimmage and you can, we called it a bang wide, right? But you, you, you know, hit the outside shoulder of those DNs to force more of a bull rush, which then if your lineman knows it's coming, it helps. So there's certain things you can do formationally to help. Um, but it does like Teddy's going to have to be great moving within the pocket if we're going to be really good on offense. And that was one of those reasons why I did not necessarily like dumping Royce Freeman either. Um, and I know, yeah. again, like he's a third-string running back who is probably going to get cut once Mike Boone was back. So I'm not saying he's a world beater. But yeah. the, the strengths of his game were in pass protection and as an outlet receiver. And, yeah. and when you do have some questions about the offensive line, those guys are valuable. And Shermer yeah. likes to keep his backs in the block. And again, Freeman's a third back, and Melvin Gordon and Pookie, Javante Williams are probably going to be the two that are on the field the most anyway. But that is a concern if we ever see McCrary on the field, because when I've talked to Baltimore guys, that is a big weakness in his game is his pass pro. And again, yep. he's a rookie, but like, that's scary. Like, I don't like that. Um, yeah. And the other thing is, to your point, this is one of those reasons why when we were doing the Tani Muti should be a starter thing, why it was kind of comical to me. Not because I think he's back, because I think in a year or two, he's probably going to be a starting guard. But he has short arms. He has 31 inch arms, which is going to show up against better defensive linemen. And when I went back to his tape last year, before the season start, you know, before the preseason started, he has issues with his placement, with his punches. Like that was going to be a thing still that's a work in progress. And we both know that Quinn Miners is coming from D3, didn't play football last year. Like you don't want to throw that guy on the field all year if you can help it. And yeah. Calvin Anderson I, I mean, is aggressive. Yeah, I think you bring up a ton of great points. And I think the nice thing is like interior linemen, you can – like there's a little bit more effective ways to help them versus yeah. like, Hey, just only, you know, we can bang them with the tight end or the running back. It's like, you know, the tackles are kind of usually on an Island out there. Um, but there is like, you know, I just think there's so much you can do if your quarterback is good at helping set the protection Agreed. to like really help put your guys in the best position possible. Like even if it's just simply like turning the line, towards the three tech. So now we get a four man slide versus a three man. And then it's like big on big or, Hey, we want to go the route of a three man because we're worried about one of our guards and we want to leave big on big with the three tech and the five. Like there's so many things that if you haven't, if you have a quarterback who understands all of it can help alleviate some of the, I guess just put you in the most advantageous position possible. Cause yeah, if you get beat, just, hey, cat on cat, right? Like our guy versus their guy, there's nothing you can do about that. But if, you beat, if you're beat because, wow, we put him in a tough situation as a lineman and he couldn't overcome it, like 
those are the things that hopefully a veteran quarterback can correct like Teddy. And I think he will. I mean, there was a pre-snap operation in Seattle before he threw the, in my opinion, a really bad back shoulder to KJ. But the pre-snap operation of getting everything protected was really good. And I think those are things where it's like, you know, again, like when you factor in the whole thing of, hey, we don't feel good about this guard or this or this or this, you can see why they decided, hey, man, let's go Teddy. So, and again, I want to be conscious of your time. So let me know, you yeah. know, I want to talk, talk a little bit more about Pat Shermer's offense, just because again, like the, the pre- prevalent narrative is always going to be right now in Broncos country that he's garbage. Like that's like, yeah. basically if I just throw the words Pat Shermer on Twitter, that is basically the number one thing I will hear back from Broncos fans. And I think that's to a good degree, not fair, honestly, yeah. because a lot of the other, like not to say anything, you because I do think all of what you just said is fair, like with the teaching and stuff. But one of the things I think is a narrative that I want to try and get ahead of, and this is something you brought up on Twitter back when I was complaining about a couple of games ago, is the end around stuff. I get frustrated watching end arounds just because, and part of this, again, I blame Madden. End arounds suck ass in Madden. They never work. (laughs) Don't work. Don't do it in Madden. Um, But like you watch in the game and like for every one that goes for 10 yards, you're going to get three or four that get busted in the backfield. So it, it sucks to watch because you get frustrated. But yeah. at the same time, and this is something I lost sight of that I'm really appreciate you bringing up was that, well, here's the thing it's setting up like this, 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 and this. And I think that's something as fans, we need to kind of keep in the back of our minds. So one thing too, that I think is important when you're talking about the end of round stuff. So you're usually what you're seeing is you're seeing, a, you're seeing a, a, a strong side zone run. So, Hey, we have, you know, three guys on the right, two guys on the left. Cause we have our tight end on the right. We're running strong side zone and we're going to zip that Z down and run around with him. Yeah. Usually what a lot of guys do is sometimes they leave that five tech on the backside unblocked. And what you use around for is it's a, you know, rather than zipping the guy across and saying, Hey, receiver block the five tech, you fake the around and then you get the slow play and then you get the cutback. So the around sets up two plays to me, which is, Hey, the, you know, hey, we're going to actually run Bruce and then fake the around, which holds that backside DN so we can cut it back. But it also sets up the fake Bruce, fake around big shot, right? So it's like, you know, listen, I, I it makes total sense what you're saying because it does feel like the only people that can call around with success is the New England Patriots. Like every time I feel like the Patriots run, it's like 15 yards. Yep. And then you're like, why doesn't the rest of the NFL do it? And every other person I see run, it's like two to three, right? It's like, it's just not the same. But I do think hopefully Shermer's setting up, hey, we're, it's just a more effective block on that backside five. And then hopefully setting up, there's really three plays, the big shot, but then also the fake Bruce, fake around, halfback slow screen. Like to me, that's a really effective screen game because usually you're getting a corner running with that zip. So now the best pass defender's gone and now we're getting out in space and having some big boys up front. So I think as long as I see those three plays, I don't care as much about the actual around. My issue is the coaches that run around as a one-off and don't have all the other complimentary things to go with it. That's when I start to have an issue with like, this is just like a guy who's like, oh, let's try to get a cheap one. And like, I personally, just from playing and watching film, I think one-off offensive coordinators are the worst offensive coordinators. And I think they quickly have no success. And I think 
system building is the way to go. And the way you system build is if I have F around or Z around, I also have Z around halfback slow. I have Z around cutback and I have Z around shot. And, and as long as those are there, I feel good about it. But man, like, listen, I, I'm on your team. If, if we only run it when we're going to do it, like that's a problem, but a lot of coordinators do that in the NFL. So it's a perfectly valid criticism of the play. So no, I'm, but that is something then that I'm going to, keep an eye out. Cause like, again, as you brought that up, I was thinking you're right because again, and again, bringing this back to Madden, when I build Madden and I, whenever I put a concepts in, I'm always like, well, if I'm going to run this, I want other plays that look like this. Yep. That aren't this, that take advantage yep. of the fact that people are going to overplay it because once you have it on tape, everyone's thinking, Oh, he's just going to run the run the receiver. So, well, it's the beauty of, I mean, the Broncos do right now. They've done a lot of, they're showing, you know, they run a ton of like big posts from outside. So seeing the blaze eight where Cortland brought it back, like that's exciting. Cause those are all again, like system building. Like that's what I, and you know, I made the mistake of tweeting out in Broncos country. Hey, is Josh McDaniels the best coordinator in football right now? And I, I don't <laughs> do that, but that's what I respect so much about him is it's yeah. like, everything you know like i i watch like joe i watch too much tape right like i i don't know if you know i've been i feel like i've been busting out like 15 breakdowns a week in the you have been you right? have been you have been no i know you have been <laughs> to your I'm, point with mcdaniels though that was one of the reasons why i was so optimistic back when the broncos hired him yeah because you can see the offense just how everything's built together and it feeds yeah. off itself yeah. And I just think like when I, when, as I've been watching all the tape, it's like, man, there's like just having, it's so rare to be able to turn on the tape and every play that they run makes sense. Like that's rare. And, and, and honestly, Pat is one of the better guys. Like Pat's one of the ones that I can turn on tape and it's like, man, this makes sense. Like I might disagree with calling it on second and seven, but it makes total sense. I turn on the Chicago stuff and I'm like, like it makes like, like it's a, it's a, it's a man zone indicator motion, right? So, Hey, we're going to motion our back from the outside receiver inside. And if a linebacker's with them, it's man. If it's a corner, it's zone man zone indicator motion paired with two zone beaters. It's like, well, why'd you care what they were in? You're running this anyways. So like, for me, it's like, that's when, you know, when my excitement about Josh McDaniels was just like everything fed off of it. And then obviously, and then of course, right, Mac Jones comes in there and looks great. And it's like, well, is it, how much of it's Mac? How much of it is like, oh, well, you know what? The system logically makes sense. So of course a kid's going to be better quicker. And and that's where I think like Shermer with Teddy, I think it could be successful early because it's like, I'm starting to see a lot of stuff that makes sense that frankly, I wasn't seeing the first six to eight weeks of the season last year when I went back and did the study that he kind of got to at the end. And I just wonder how much of it was like, I just wonder how much he's evolved. And, and I'd love to be a fly on the wall for one of their meetings and just listen to like how the offense progressed. Cause I think it's gotten to where now I view him more as a system builder than maybe I did last year, like week eight, nine, 10. Well, it kind of brings me one of the things and again, this is not excusing how everything went last year, but I remember before the season last year, he was talking about how like they, they, they asked Shermer and they asked fans, you know, basically like, what are you going to do without a preseason with, you know, all the limited prep and stuff. And he was like, basically, I think it was just Fangio. It was like, usually you'd like to make pasta, but this year we're just making chef Boyardee or something like that. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that was part of it, 
I don't think that was all of it. I also think Shermer's yeah. probably realized like I have to do a better job. Yeah. But I wonder, I also wonder how much of it was he didn't have time with the player. So he was trying to learn some of Scangar. I'm going to put brutal. Scangarella. Yeah. yeah. But I wonder how much he had to learn his stuff and then try to call it. Cause that's what the guys knew. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, man, I wonder if that was like, cause like they really look in that Titans game. I'm like, what offense is this? Cause you know, I didn't like start really paying attention until like week 10 when I went on, you know, Ben and Ryan show. And then all of a sudden, like everyone in Broncos country is like, Hey, would you mind making a video? I'm like, sure. So like I went back and watched the whole lead up to that week again. And I'm like, what offense is this? Like, this looks nothing the same. So I wonder how much of it was like, he's trying to learn Scrangarella stuff. And then, and then he finally got to like the bye week or whenever he got, and he's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going back to my stuff and we're going to slowly install it. Like, I wonder if that's what happened. Um, Because this preseason, like I didn't have the all 22 of last year, but I'm assuming that, these concepts weren't on tape a year ago. If we didn't see them in the regular season, like I just think there's a lot of things to be excited about for this offense. If you're a Broncos fan. Same. And I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, so i got two questions for you kind of before I let you go. Cause I know I'm keeping you. Yeah. First question is a really dumb one. I just want to ask it because I want your, your idea on it. Yeah. Why can't you run play action all the time? I know that's a stupid <laughs> question. So I, so one, I don't think it, I don't think it's actually that stupid of a question. I think a lot of teams don't even run the ball very well or good at play action. Um, you can, I think the, I, I think the run action play action thing for Denver specifically is a little overblown because I think the offense, like it's just simplified in run and play action. So a quarterback like can be more aggressive but I think the concepts that we're starting to see in the straight drop back that showed up in preseason will lead to that as well. Like that. And again, it's also kind of how stuff is classified. Cause to me, so that, uh, that sale route that Teddy hit against Seattle on the sideline, that was a great catch by the tight end. Sober. I'm interested to know, like does PFF grade that as play action. Cause it was like a fake. It was like a flash fake. Cause I've to me that's that a drop back. Yep. So it's like, that's where I'm, torn but those are the concepts that we didn't see in the traditional drop back game last year like flutie great concept and now it's showing up on tape the blaze eight great concept so no one you could you could live and run and play action but i do think we're getting better with what we're going to do in the traditional drop back and i and i think those numbers will reflect that cool uh and, and the big reason i asked that is just because and again this is And there's an analytical piece from, I want to say like two years ago, basically like play action. The comparison was that play action is essentially the NFL's three point shot. Like the NBA completely revolutionized when analytics basically pushed the NBA to stop shooting mid range twos and go more threes. And the idea was, well, the NFL is doing this with play action. They need to do more play action. They haven't reached the point of no return yet. And so I've always wondered that like, conception like from a film standpoint it makes sense that you would run play action more but i just wonder like what is the downside and my my thought has always been like well if you're doing rollouts the downside is obviously you're shrinking the field so like the defense is going to get to this point where they know what they're trying to defend um but in terms of like rpos play action stuff like that like i feel like the more you can put linebackers in a bind that's good yeah the only downside i see is like the amount of run-throughs you're gonna get and if you really value like It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. You know, it's how often do you, how often are you okay with going from first and 10 to second and 17 versus first and 10 to second or second and eight or second and 10 again? Like, those are the questions that I think more like to me, run action, like you're going to have run throughs all the time. However, if you have a guy that knows where his outlet is and where he can just throw this thing at the ground, that's advantageous because now you're eliminating that. So I do think a lot of it's probably rooted on how confident you are that if you got a run through that your quarterback would just throw the ball at the running back's feet. Like if you're not confident in that, it's hard to live in it. Um, but like, listen, like think about how new Orleans, they do so much play action. They do like it. And, and they don't even like, I mean, they run the ball well, but it's not like mind boggling their run system. So to me, it's like, I think you can do more of it. And I think teams should, I think that article was probably a hundred percent correct. That's one of those things that it, I'll probably bug you about this, you know, down the road, but that's one of those things. I wonder if that's one of those areas where Tannehill kind of had a strength that was hidden by Gase is that Tannehill yeah. is actually able to mitigate some of that run through stuff. And that's yep. why you can run play action more with him. And they just weren't doing it enough. And then Arthur Smith was smart enough to say, Hey, let's do it. Um, so the second question is actually, I, I want to say it's more relevant to listeners and not as much for, well, for me as well, but like the listeners yeah. will probably enjoy this a little bit more. Do you think the Broncos this year are a playoff team? Um, and again, oh. this is, this is assuming health, like, you know, obviously we're t- question. and it's, and it's, it's easy to say that. And it's hard to actually do that because like no team makes it out of the regular season healthy. We're having 17 weeks now, but yeah, assuming like you, a relative health though, do you think they could? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think like, I, I would guess the number this year is 11 or 12, right? You have to win 11 or 12. Here's the reason I think they can is because I think that outside of the chiefs and again i don't want to get run out of denver but i do think outside of the chiefs everyone else in the division you can split yeah and if you get out of the division two and four i do think that there's a realistic world in which you're you know seven and whatever with the uh, like i i don't even want to pretend to do the math or not seven it's way more than that but like i think there's a realistic run that they have to get to 11 wins outside of the division so that to me is the question right is do we think they can go two and four three and three in division and if they can you know like listen i think there's a chance they get out of september three and one right or or no three and oh see i i i i do a really bad job of actually looking at the real calendar but i think i think it's the three because i think we're starting so late but yeah, yeah no like giants jags jets like, I feel really good that the Broncos are catching Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson before the end of the season. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like, listen, let's say even you drop one of them, right? Hey, uh, the Jets surprise you, right? And Zach Wilson has a like day that he gets out of the pocket a bunch and he beats them on a couple throws and we have a couple turnovers, whatever. Even if you get out of there two and one, like, listen, the Ravens are a really good ball club. But do we have the personnel to just match man and then load the box and murky the run game reads? You probably do. So that then becomes winnable. Steelers, what do you decide to do? Do you just press man and then heat Ben up at his age? Because that's what I would do. 
So then it's like, okay, well now you can, you can potentially split those. And then it's like, well, you get the Raiders, you get the Browns, you get some guys that it's like, listen, there's a lot of teams on our, the schedule that I look at. And it's like, if Vic Fangio does not press man and just heat these guys up, I think it's going to be a real shame. Cause I think that's why you go get corners. To me, like, I wouldn't go get corners so I can run exotic cover two. I go and get corners so that I can press man outside and I can heat you the hell up and make your quarterback make decisions at the line all the time. So to me, I think it's realistic that these guys make the playoffs. You know, I made a huge Giants bet. Uh, yeah, I saw that. For me, because my wife took away my DraftKings account last year, so I, I made a huge Giants bet. Um, just And then also it's because I watched the Giants-Patriots and I'm like, this team is so bad. Um, so I'm like, I don't think Joe judge is going to make it out of the season. No. I, I would be very surprised just, and again, like part of it's not even his fault. I just think like their injury woes, they, they, they're hitting the regular season at the worst possible time. I think the only yeah. team that's in, in a ballpark with them is the Colts. So I was sitting there and it's like, I, I was watching cause I wanted to do a breakdown on Daniel Jones. And I was like, I just can't put myself through this <laughs> and I'm watching the offensive scheme. And then I'm like, God, is their coordinator and I look it up and of course it's Jason Garrett and I'm like golly I mean it was some it was some it was one of those things that it's like what I was talking about earlier where I was watching the plays and I'm like I cannot understand why you would run this like it I don't understand as a quarterback where I should put my eyes this concept doesn't make sense so that's where it was one of those things that it's like yeah I gotta throw some money here <laughs> well and that's one of those things like I will I think I mean rightly so I think there will be some heat I think there Sorry. will be no, 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 totally fine. But I, I think there will be some heat. I can go. Okay, okay, go upstairs. No, buddy, go upstairs with Poppy. Because Daddy's on a call. Your listeners will love that. The four-year-old's got to go poop. <laughs> uh, but no, I just I think there will be some heat on Fangio if the Broncos drop it to the Giants, just rightfully so, because I think this. Yeah. I think the Giants are going to be one of the worst teams of football this year. Yeah, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think they've got to win that game. I, I think I want to prep fans for two and one because I yeah. think there's a lot of fans who are just like counting it as three and oh. Well, and, and I, I think, just think like there's little things that can pop up. And like, you know, to me, it's like, okay, Daniel Jones, like if all of a sudden he does what he did when he went down to Tampa and like runs for two touchdowns, like there's weird things that can happen in the NFL. Or if Trevor Lawrence comes out and is like the dude that everyone thought he was. Like there's things that could happen. Well, and, and again, and I know I'm keeping you now, so I'll, I'll let you go after this, but like, but to your point with like, with the, the two and one though, with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, like them starting against the Broncos so early is a double-edged sword. And this is something that helped do lock against Houston a couple years ago. Yeah. You don't really have their NFL tape yet. So what you're doing yeah. when you're trying to build a game plan against them is you're probably going off the one or two games you have. And then a lot of what they did in college. So you could get surprised yeah. and like, yes, I, I think the Broncos are a better overall team than both the Jaguars and the jets, but that lack of tape when they have a quarterback that both of them are very talented. Yeah. Could lead to a wild day. Here's like, and, and here would be like what I would tell Broncos fans is like, so like the Jags, right? Let's say the Jags show up in week one and what they've scripted is, Hey, the way we're going to beat this team is a lot of drop back this run action. And then they turn on the Broncos tape and they go, you know what? I don't think I can block Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. So you know what we're going to do is we're going to read them. And Trevor's going to run some read zone. And we're going to pull it into RPO. You go into the game thinking, hey, we've got all these exotic twists drawn up to get home against drop back passes. 
And then after the first series, you realize, holy shit, we've got nothing for this, what they're running right now. So then you have to get into base vanilla, which then again is advantageous to that quarterback. So to me, it's like, that's why I just like always am like hesitant because it's like, I just know how these things can play out in terms of like the reality of like, there were so many times in the NFL or in college, you get a game plan and you are set up to attack single high safety. We are going to attack the heck out of it because they're a cover three team. They were a cover three team the last two weeks and they, and then you show up and they're in quarters the first snap. And then now your run game, like if your run game is not effective against it, you can't force them back into it. So it's like, there's just so many things that can happen in the nuance of like the game plan structure that a lot of people don't even want to hear about, but like, I love that, that part. Then on game day, you show up and like, dude, you're out, you're sitting on the sideline. You're looking at the stills and you know, in your head, like we're kind of tonight, right? Like I need to, like, we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to get out of here and win this thing. 18 to 16 It's not going to be pretty, but like, you just there's things that happen throughout a season. So that's why I want to preface fans of like, man, you know, a lot of teams ran into it with RG3 in Washington that first yes. year, where it was like week to week, they showed such different stuff that it was almost like D coordinators were like, I think this is what we're gonna get, but we'll figure it out on game day. It's one of those things that I'm really glad that the 49ers are not on the Broncos schedule this year because yeah. I, I could definitely see something like that with Trey Lance. Oh, yeah. And, and with they, Jimmy G. The fact that they can yeah. go with either one of them, I hate, I like from an outsider's perspective, I would hate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no way to game plan for it. I think, you know, I, I, I put a thread out on Twitter today. I wonder if they're doing the best thing by Trey. Because, like, there were some things that he busted in the first preseason game that I'm like, this dude's way too smart to mess this up. And then I saw the Oakland game, and now I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, he's been spending all this time with this package, which I get why you're doing it. But it's like, how many third and long reps has he missed because he's working on reading the DN for counter Trey? And I'm not I'm not saying that, like, it's a bad idea, but it's like... The trade-off. I wonder if sometimes we hurt these more athletic quarterbacks by like wanting to be so exotic with them versus just saying like, Hey, Trey Lance is a really smart kid and he has a cannon. Let's just let him play quarterback. <laughs> like I, I wonder how often that happens. That's definitely one of those things that brings me back to, and I, again, this is one of those things where I can talk all night with you. So I apologize, but like, but it brings me back to one of those things you said about Lamar Jackson and that their passing game was actually quite simple. Their running game was really crazy. And I do wonder if that's a big part of it is that they spend so much time yeah using Lamar Jackson to like make the run game impossible to defend that they're kind of skimping on their passing game. And again, like I, ho I hope they do that this year, but yeah. And like, listen, and my thing is I I've seen Lamar make some throws on tape that I think he's a heck of a passer from the yeah. pocket too. I know a lot of people like say the opposite. I just don't think they've watched enough tape on him. Cause I think he's a heck of a passer from the pocket. And here's what I would tell you. Every defensive coordinator I've talked to, and they talk about athletic quarterbacks, like, yeah, like counter Trey and all this cool stuff. Is hard to defend, but everyone is more scared of Russell Wilson, and he's not doing that. And it's because they're scared of the big created play. Like people, like people think that like D coordinators perceive Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson in two different lights. They do in terms of QB run, but the reality, what keeps those D coordinators up at night, is that dude getting loose on a passing play, like. People are scared of Aaron Rodgers getting loose when it's two man 
and everyone's back is turning and Rodgers goes, I'll get 20 here. Like that's what they are up at night thinking about. So it's like, man, you know, I, I just wonder if we always develop these guys that are great runners, if we always develop them in the best way, or if we get so caught up as coordinators, like wanting to do something really cool in the run game or this exotic look that then we take away like the third and six reps. And then I just think it contributes to an overall like narrative about the kid as a player, which is like, Oh, well, yeah, he's not a drop back guy. How long can he last in the league? And it's like, well, like that's kind of half the story. Like, you know, and, and again, and I'm not accusing Shanahan. Of, uh, I'm not trying to accuse him of anything, but like last time we turned over an uber talented kid at the top of the draft to him, it didn't end well for that kid. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen again, but like, it's a concern. There are, there are, you know, there are some things that it's like, you know, you're starting to see some of the same stuff. And like, personally, I think Trey, like there were a lot of things that I was hard on him in the pre-draft process, but like, there's been some run game checks that I'm uber impressed by in the preseason. So it's like, I think the kid can process it at a high level. Like just don't take him out of certain situations because you want to run like this really cool concept. So I just, you know, it's off topic, but it's just like a general question I have about the NFL and like why we do certain things with certain guys. And and if it's actually the best form as a quarterback. Agreed. Uh, this is not probably the best uh, segue into like, hey, thanks for Choman, but yeah, no, I appreciate but no, it, no, but like, but no, like, like you said at the beginning though, it's one of those things like, you're one of those people. Whenever I have on, I feel like I can just keep talking to you, and I almost yeah. like want to just keep talking to you because it's just it's just fun talking ball with you. Um, and I hope again, I hope listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did because I love talking to you. So thank you so much for coming on, guys. If you do not follow Tim on Twitter, go do it. Tim is at T Jenkins elite. Um, go get on his YouTube page as well. Uh, guys just, yeah, like go follow him, go learn football. <laughs> Appreciate you, man.